autism, where affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, this week we have with us Jean Christian, who's a mental health counselor and DIR expert training leader in Spokane, Washington. We had him once before talking about from dysregulation to intent in the developmental individual differences relationship-based model or DIR floor time. And today we're zooming in on part of what we discussed before, that really essential piece to the DIR model, which is effective reciprocal interactions or that nonverbal back and forth that really kicks off communication in our children. And so, Gene, I can't be more pleased to welcome you back. <laughs> well, thank you, Darian. It's good to come back. Um, yes, you're really you're exactly right. I do want to focus on reciprocal interaction, especially in the first four capacities. And actually, what I want to focus on is what Stanley all, always called preverbal affective signaling. And we're talking about Stanley Greenspan, who created uh, DIR floor time back in the 70s. Um, him and Dr. Serena Weider wrote Engaging Autism and really developed this amazing model that is used around today, has an evidence base now. And that's what we talk about here at Affect Autism. And, um, and Jean, you were telling me that one of your fears is that since Dr. Greenspan passed, the focus on this seems to have faded. I can't say for sure. I live way out in the sticks, but I know how important it was to Stanley Greenspan. So it doesn't hurt for me to come and repeat what everybody, I hope, has at least some sense of, because this is so critically important to the developmental individual relationship-based model. It's also terrifically important to attachment. I uh, sat at Stanley's feet, Stanley Greenspan's feet for several of his infancy and early childhood courses. And during the course of that time, he focused on the preverbal affective gestural system. In other words, speaking broadly, uh, pretty much what we think of as nonverbal communication. The other thing that I want to talk about is how that relates to what's uh, the uh, attachment. Uh, while I was going through the, uh, the training with Stanley and then Serena Weider and other people, I was also going through a lot of the trainings, got a couple of different certifications in what could broadly be called attachment or what has historically been the core of infant mental health. Um, we need to understand DIR and attachment together. I have worked very closely with the three gentlemen who developed the circle of security model. And that is one of the world's best recognized attachment interventions. So I had two things going on when I started my studies. And I wanted to see how these fit together. And so I started, you know, listening to Stanley Greenspan. And it became clear what's known as the prever or what he called the preverbal affective gestural system is really the core that not just knits together development in our first four dir capacities but also knits together the basis for a secure attachment this is best known for being transmitted intergenerationally in fact most of the modern day attachment people that you talk to are going to be focusing on the adult. What does the adult bring to this early relationship that sets the path for how children develop, how infants develop over the course of that first year? And it's not just what mom brings to the situation, it's what the infant brings. And that's how my friends in the circle of security attachment intervention have come to understand DIR. And I think that works really well because we're really just running back and forth on both sides of this reciprocal relationship, looking at each one from their different perspectives. Um, I feel like I'm talking too much, Daria. Any thoughts so far that you've had? You're just highlighting the importance of the early capacities and, and um, when we get into children who have an autism diagnosis and have struggles 
having joint attention with others and, and social reciprocity, this is where it stems from and this is where we want to intervene and use play to bring out these affective signals. And um, Jean and I did a podcast a few months ago, um, which was called From Dysregulation to Intent. And something that you said in that podcast really jumped out at me. And um, I think it was in this podcast. If it wasn't in this podcast, it was in a discussion about the podcast. But what I'll say is that uh, you can find this at affectautism.com. Just do a search for Gene Christian, G-E-N-E, or from, look up from dysregulation to intent. I'll put a link to it on the blog post for today. But um, what really stuck out with me that you said, Gene, is that um, a lot of us forget to focus, and I know you're going to get into this more, a lot of us forget to focus on this pre-verbal affective signaling because we don't remember going through it ourselves. Uh, this is something that happens from birth to 18 months old and, and beyond, uh, starts to get solidified in a neurotypical infant. And our parts of the brain, whether it's prefrontal cortex or other parts of the brain that are responsible for having these memories, hasn't formed yet. So my earliest memory might be from when I'm three years old. I don't remember being 16 months old and I don't remember gesturally back and forth with um, my caregivers before I was verbal. So that's what makes it hard to uh, understand, especially when we have children who are verbal at an early age, even if they're not verbal at an early age, a lot of autistic kids that I see are very verbal and maybe they're in school at their regular typical grade level of their age group, but they don't have that affective signaling. They're, they're kind of in their own world. They don't make eye contact. They might be socially awkward. And, um, and I guess let's just say right off the bat, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a child who's sort of in his own world and he's a little bit different? Isn't neurodiversity something that we value? Why, why do we want to work on this early pre-verbal gestural system? And why was it so important to Dr. Greenspan? One of the things that he always talked about, you could go to his three-day trainings and hear the word catastrophic emotion subject victim to catastrophic emotion and that's what we're fundamentally working on you know stanley stanley was a physician he was a physician who i think it's safe to say came from the last generation i'm from the last generation and he was like a half a generation older than me um but so he did use medical terms but you've got to understand that where he was coming from was a strongly affirmative approach to the mystical deep nature of human development. Um, and the reason you heard that term catastrophic emotion so much is because we learn through our interaction with primary caregivers to grade emotions. Now we're jumping up all the way to the fourth capacity and we call the fourth capacity complex communication or shared social problem solving, as you well know, Daria. Um, and the reason for that is because that's, that's the point at which the child begins to deal with the reality principle. But the first capacity that Stanley thought was so critical is shared regulation and shared attention. And you can't share attention even, the most, even in the most minimal way unless you're able to stay regulated. Things like pain, sensory differences, sensory impact, developmental challenges, all kinds of upstream issues can lead to difficulty with preverbal signaling. But the way we want to see it unfold in typical development is that that first few weeks, the infant learns hopefully to calm herself with the help of a primary caregiver. Only with that help. Nobody can learn to regulate without the help of others. 
Now, we do know that people's attachment styles can change as they grow through life as a function of the relationships they have. But in that first capacity, the kind of signaling that we're looking at during the first five or six weeks is primarily the infant crying and the mom soothing her. But that is such a fundamental interaction. And Gene, um, if I can interject here for a second, I believe please. I've told this story somewhere before, so forgive me listeners if you've heard it, but the first time our son cried and couldn't be soothed, I was kind of in a panic state and he was very young. Like, I honestly don't remember. It could have been two months old. It could have been four months old. And um, try not to laugh, people. I called 911 and I was like, my baby won't stop crying. I don't know what to do. And she said, is this your first child? I said, yes. Um, How long has he been crying for? And I said, at least five minutes. And there was this awkward pause, which I imagined they were like turning their head and laughing. And then they came back and I, it seemed like there was a laugh behind what she said. She said, if he's still crying after three hours, I call him back. (laughs) Three hours? Three hours? (laughs) I can't deal with five minutes. What are you talking about? Like every time I pick him up and soothe him, he's fine. But this time he's, he's just crying. What's going on? And, you know, as a new parent, like, I babysat kids before. You'd think I wouldn't be that uh, naive. I was an older mother in my late 30s at the time. Not like I was 19 having a baby not knowing what's happening. Um, not that 19-year-olds know what's happening, but I certainly don't know what's happening at 19 either. But it, it just, it's, um, it's, it's a very traumatic experience for parents especially uh when we have autistic children who have such intense sensory processing issues going on that they have like you said it is catastrophic it's like <laughs> like absolute freak out that you it's this this wild storm how in the world am i going to calm this down and it's a normal part of toddlerhood and we learn how to co-regulate, and you mentioned attachment, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who also has a very broad uh, theory of attachment, talks about, um, oops, talks about um, having a dance with your child where you're always trying to take into account where they are developmentally and have this dance of co-regulation to find out what works, what helps soothe the child, and then that doesn't work, let's try this, that doesn't work, let's try this and always um, in a calming way, but um, this is a big challenge. And so I think what you're getting at is that um, until these young people learn to use that preverbal affective signaling, they will continue to have catastrophic reactions. And we talked about this in our last podcast where we talked about a 40-something-year-old man who um, was worked with who you know, had very catastrophic, uh, whether you call them temper tantrums or whether you call them emotional outbursts or whatever it is, you know, banging and bashing his head. And we hear about this in the news about autistic kids breaking their noses, punching their parents, um, breaking things, throwing desks. And, and what we want to do is we want to get to the point where uh, we can intervene, like Dr. Stuart Shanker says, with his self-regulation, self-reg method, let's notice those signs before that catastrophic emotional outburst let's get in there reduce stress and today you're talking about how to reduce that stress it's by using this effective system he really described the core elements i think because as the infant becomes more skilled in that preverbal affective gesturing she does have a lot more access to to her own ability to regulate. One of the things that will happen in this first capacity is there will be kind of a template set for what is my baseline sense of regulation. But what happens? The child zaps into mom's eyes, dad's eyes, grandma's eyes, and the child is hyper-reactive through that sense, through the visual sense, instead of 
looking with that warm, loving eyes that we associate with the second capacity, which is called attachment, engagement, or intimacy. Children with autism, and my focus is much broader in my work, but children with autism attach, as far as we can tell, we don't have any population-based studies, at about the same rate and the same quality as, as typically developing children. It just becomes a little bit idiosyncratic, maybe, but the attachment can be just as strong. And as they enter this engagement phase, what's going to begin to happen is, is that, well, we've used the term continually, but it's still the best term there is. Fall in love with each other. The infant falls in love with their mom and begins to goo goo gaga with looking in the mom's eyes. And, and one of the things that begins to happen, one of the pre-verbal signals is your infant is moving into a strong gestural system. If you wear glasses, or even if you don't, is that infant begins reaching for your eyes. This is in no way aggressive, quite the contrary. That face is the most attractive thing I know. And so one of just in typical development, and maybe atypical development, if you're seeing it. As I work with kids with distinct challenges like autism, I see that as they move into the second capacity. He's always trying to grab my glasses or poke my eye. No, he's trying to reach for the most beautiful thing in his universe. Well, she is. Um, and one of the things that happens during this period with that back and forth goo-goo-gaga, I believe, is that the mirror neuron system in relation to empathetic understanding of other people gets a little switch clicked. But we become so thoroughly empathetic with our infants that we pull them in to more and more rich and complex signaling. The one I'm thinking of is just how the infant begins to move from being in love and this shared non-differentiated bath for the infant. The parents carry 90 plus percent of the interaction during this phase, but at the same time, she is so wonderfully tuned in, or E. Um, but what happens is we begin to refine our pre-verbal signaling. And what I always do working with kids who seem to be having a problem in this area, is I will begin, not hugely, not dramatically, because with sensitive children, that can send them sideways, but begin to do much bigger facial expressions. Oh, you know, because you're helping, especially kids with challenges, learn this pre-verbal gestural system. And the visual cliff, there's a video you can find online. Of, there's a, a child coming across the table at mom, and then this glass part of the table, and if mom continues to give a welcoming look, the infant will keep coming across that glass, invisible floor, and go right into mom's arms. But if mom goes, <gasps> or anything like that, as the infant gets near the glass, what happens is that infant freezes. So what does that illustrate for us? It illustrates that infancy is learning to interpret, see, and respond to the world through the caregiver's eyes. One thing that's happening during this first year, and this is Daniel Siegel's work, this is not DIR, but it ties in beautifully, is the preorbital area right in here begins to fuse in a small amount, the left and right. And, and Gene is pointing to his forehead for those listening on audio, uh, where the right, okay. and, are you trying to say the right and left hemispheres of the brain are coming, of the brain coming together? Connects in this preorbital area right above our eyes. Um, this is Daniel Siegel's work and Alan Shore's work, but especially Daniel Siegel who approaches looks talks a lot about this this is the only connection between the two halves of our brain that's not very deep you know in our reptile brain or corpus callosum 
what happens is we build this connection and begin to integrate our personal, subjective, emotional, intuitive side with our rational, what's going to become our, our symbol system side in the left brain. So we're getting a, a neurologically this fusing that occurs during the preverbal affective gesturing, and it becomes more and more differentiated and I could go on for three hours but what happens as we move into the more complex phase as engagement intimacy and attachment unfolds into the beginning sense for the infant there is a difference here and she begins to learn she can impact the adult's behavior with her behavior and Dr. Greenspan always talked about this basic gesture which children develop well before approximately, we'll say seven to 10 months in typical development. We want to see the child actually doing two-way signaling. And part of that is a beginning to recognize the differentiation. And that two-way signaling, you begin to experiment. Does, and this becomes intentional, not just reactive, it becomes intentional and we begin to develop what I call an action pattern for that particular interaction. But then we move into this two-way signaling, and one of the first things you'd see is the infant grabbing her cereal bowl, tossing it on the floor. <coughs> this is her experimenting with her power. And then from there, she moves into a real sense of differentiation. And that's when our sense of self what Freud called our ego comes on the line. Stanley called it complex communication or shared social problem solving. Um, but anyway, you begin to, okay, I'm different. And you run into all kinds of issues. And all of a sudden, as you're using your signaling to try to fulfill your desires or harnessing affect, as Stanley loved to put it, what really begins to happen here is you run square into the reality principle or the word no. Jeez, it looks like it'll be fun to put my finger in that light socket. Oh, oh boy, did I get a reaction. Okay, I'm going to try it again. Now, I'm, <coughs> this is a very kind of prototypical thinking I'm talking about, but I want to get you to get a feel for the motivation. So I'm going back to the light socket. It's just like the cereal bowl. But I begin to, okay, that was fun, but I'm reaching and pointing toward cookies that are for dessert. And mom is saying, no. Or I'm trying to go outside at zero degree temperature. Mom's saying no. And I begin to deal with that word no in my complex shared social problem solving. I'm also running into frustrations of my own. I'm just beginning to feel pretty full of myself in complex communication and heading inevitably toward the terrible twos. I begin to develop, I get, I, I'm still, like I say, all through life, we're subject to catastrophic emotions depending on the situation. But I begin to manage those and I begin to grade those. And I begin to develop what I call action patterns in my mind. When I kick my feet and stomp and scream. Mom says, no, I love you, but no cookies. Not yet. After supper, which you're inevitable. Understanding you're developing a sense of time also during the same phase. But mainly what you're getting is, is no, I can't do that. And you begin to develop all these action pattern strategies, excuse me, about how to achieve what you want. And as you're doing that, you develop what I call a sense of self and time, which both Stanley and Sigmund Freud called really, uh, from a psychoanalytic perspective, the development of the ego or that self that copes between the inner and the outer. And this, we do this so many things. I, be, I develop a sense of myself. I begin what Stanley really liked to see what he said our goal is during this phase for us who are either working with kids with challenges or except like parents working with 
typical or maybe less typical children is that we begin to help the child get a sense of how to solve problems or when problems maybe just need to be left alone and you'll see these strategies come out. I started to say the infant's banging his or her feet. I know we're running out of time and screaming and mom says no. And then the next thing you know, if the infant's moving well, she'll run the next room, maybe continue her little tantrum, not really so much dysregulation as a, an attempt to cope. And then that'll pass. And then maybe she'll come back in, probably. You know, she's depending on how upset she is and lean into mom. And then she'll get to kissing and working on mom. And the next thing you know, she's pointing back at those cookies because she's developing a lot of awesome strategies to develop um, an ability to cope in her world. And I'm using the term action patterns loosely, but these action patterns, mom responds better if I go and kiss her, you know, and climb into her lap. And, you know, I don't know what time of day affects it yet, or I'm beginning to learn that. I mean, this, this is what's happening. We're developing a sense of time. We're developing a sense of self. We're developing a sense of how to relate to other people. We're developing a sense of how to continue interacting across a wide array of emotions, which Stanley says, Stanley Greenspan says is our goal and actually reflects what we see in, you know, pretty much secure attachment. Um, and all of this is conveyed pre-verbally. But what him made him finally say toward the end of his life that I was one of the very few people who really understood his model was that very video you were talking about of the 45-year-old man. Because that video tracked this fellow who was labeled with differences like profound and severe autism and all these things move through those core capacities to where he was beginning to be able to negotiate, which is another critical thing we learned in that fourth capacity. Uh, it's just so interesting for me to hear you describe this because you're describing exactly what my son is going through right now at age 10. And it, it, it's really true. He's doing all of those things that he just said. He, it is catastrophic emotional outbursts, but they're not really totally because he stops himself in a second he deals with it and then he comes back and he tries something else and usually he's just asking for the same thing over and over again um but he's exactly where you're talking about he's forming this sense of self he's recognizing wait a second these people are different than me i can have an effect on them oh maybe i don't even have to listen to them and i can do something else and they might get mad at me but I don't just have to comply with everything they say anymore. And, and all of these things unfolding before my eyes, it, it really is amazing uh, learning the IR model and years later watching it unfold before your eyes in your child. Because uh, you described so nicely the process in neurotypical development, but I think what the parents really want to know is, okay, great, but how do I get that with my child? And um, we talked about that in the last podcast with 45-year-old man, how, you know, we talk about this in the DR model all the time, like using lots of affect, like you said, like, you know, the, the facial expressions, the tone of voice, slowing it down, speeding it up, and, and they're just so attracted to your face and that affect, that's what's going to hook them in in a playful interaction and just doing this over and over and over and over and I think of that video of Dr. Greenspan which his son told me was actually in his office I thought it was at somebody's house Jake said no that was my that was my dad's messy office <laughs> um, where there was a girl and I don't know what her diagnosis was but it was some type of severe cerebral palsy where she was sort of crawling she had lots of motor challenges and the parents said that she just sort of wandered around and crawled and then Dr. Greenspan got them to play a little bit and, and you know, um, spontaneously the case that the eyeglasses case became of interest to her. I have it right here uh, beside me. 
the glasses case with glasses inside. And so all of a sudden, this became the toy. And they're like, oh, you know, using lots of affect and signaling. And, and then it went underneath the blanket or the couch cushion or whatever. And she found it. And oh, this look on her face of joy, like, I found it. And anticipation of, oh, but can you get it? Oh, you can't get it. And then she gets it. And then there's this joy. And it stuck out uh, to me from that video was, Dr. Greenspan said, imagine a million hours of that child playing by herself versus a million hours of this playful interaction with the glasses case. That is totally changing the way her brain is developing and wiring the social networks to be able to get exactly what you're talking about, this affective, reciprocal system going that's going to help her negotiate emotionally charged situations that she finds herself in and be able to look to others to help regulate her own emotions. Um, the other point you brought up is that we all go through catastrophic emotional um, outbursts. Um, you know, the most obvious one is you think about you get cut off in traffic or something like that. You're having a conversation with the person you're sitting with, get cut off in traffic, you can't focus on the conversation anymore. You're like thrown off for a minute. Or, you know, people that maybe so much stress happens in one day, you just lose it, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> scream, pull your hair out, or knock a few dishes over, whatever way. Some people deal with it by going out for a run. Some people deal with it more destructively. Some people go out and drink, smoke, do drugs, whatever it is. You know, we all have ways to cope when the emotional impact is too much. And this is a way of really empowering our children to be able to cope with such intense emotional um, happenings that happen to us <laughs> with all of their sensory challenges, with all of the other biological um, impediments that might be holding back their ability to connect with another person socially. Excellent, excellent, yes, yes. And the point that needs to be made, and I think where most of our DIR people can, can go sideways a bit, is that through the fourth capacity, and I, the importance of the fourth capacity cannot be overrated. Uh, your son is pretty verbal, isn't he? He talks up a storm for years now. Um, That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, so he's... Um, but he he makes really good eye contact and he initiates a lot and he um his latest thing is saying actually so he's like um i want i want the cookie actually or he'll be talking about something um oh we're going to the soccer dome tomorrow actually like i don't know where he heard this word actually but he's using it in every sentence in a number of different ways it's very funny He's so, picking up idioms. He's wanting to be like other people, hopefully, probably peers uh -huh. a lot. Um, he's really working in that fourth capacity, although he has all of these symbolic and probably uh, abilities to connect symbols and ideas. But he's, he's coming back and working on. And what he's trying to do, you know, is I want to be like my buds, actually. You know, that's just an idiom I picked up. Maybe my teacher uses it, but I like using idioms and I'm deepening my own understanding of how to interact reverbally. Wonderful work. The cutest thing was uh, Jackie Bartell in Rochester when we met her in person at the Museum of Play, the Strong. Um, it, she was playing with him and somehow he would. I don't know, they were building a sandcastle and it fell down or something with the kinetic sand table. And she said, oh, bother. And he picked that up and he still uses it to this day. And then, of course, we heard, it's a British saying, so we heard uh, on Thomas the Train, this movie that we hadn't watched for years. He was watching part of it the other day and Stephen the Train or whoever said, oh, bother. And I said, did you hear that, sweetie? He just said, oh, bother. And then I think in Peppa Pig or whatever, that British cartoon which is, is hilarious by the way for one of the better shows although there's some uh, political correctness issues that i've been told about it but you know what it's hilarious it's very cute my son loves it and they say oh bother and so he's going around using that inappropriate contexts you know 
when something happens, it doesn't work for him, he says, oh, bother! And then he runs across the room or whatever. So it's, it's um, yeah, I mean, all we can do is continue to focus on what they're interested in. And for the 45-year-old man in that video, you know, he was playing with his shoes, taking the shoes off and putting the shoes on. And let's make that into a playful game and use that affect and use that anticipation, slowing down and getting those um, affective signals going so that it was to the point where the example you brought up where he wanted to just go for a nap after his walk and it happened to be the day the video person showed up and they were poking and prodding him to interact and he usually might have lost it, but he was able to say like, I put the blanket over his head and kind of signal like, you know what? I've had enough of you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, he tried placating the caregiver who was trying to wake him up by going into doing a little bit of some of their typical playful routines. And you see him focus on the caregiver's face. I mean, this guy was reading pre-verbally and, and something that maybe took him 40 some years to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we use Stanley Greenspan's approach, and, and um, but the key thing in that video and in everything I'm talking about here, I've only talked about the up to the fourth capacity because we need to really emphasize. The guy you saw used no language. He was not at language yet. Let's just look at typical infant development. At about 12 months, you child may be saying light, which is the first word my son said, or dad or mom or whatever. Um, he's got an array of words, maybe between 15 and 50, but not using them contextually. Well, he is, but they're only a sidelight to the primary language that we all have in, that, in those early capacities, which is preverbal emotional signaling. And so my concern is we're going to lose that, lose the critical importance of that. We're not losing it. But I know in his trainings, Greenspan would spend two-thirds to three-quarters of his time talking about the first four capacities. Now, he was very interested in symbol development, and especially how those first four capacities um, promote Excuse me, the ability to use words, language, ideas, and concepts. Um, but this preverbal affective gestural system, I mean, it got to the point where my wife would say, please stop using that, you know, shorten it up a bit, because I was talking to her so much because Greenspan's work excited me and tied together all kinds of things I've studied all through my life. But it's about the preverbal signaling. And it's about the preverbal signaling in the higher capacities. I have seen video of people um, uh, working with with children, who are, you know, symbolic children and able to use concepts, who focus entirely with a flat face on the concept, and then that pre you, you may start the playful obstruction. But if you don't have that primal connection, which comes through preverbal signaling, you're only going to go so far. And your child may solve the intellectual problem. The child you're working with, I mean, is talking about a therapist here. But the fundamental issues of learning to stay with something long enough to understand it, to be supported through frustration, to feel that connection where I'm able to grade emotion and events. And suddenly, instead of, you know, or not suddenly, but I'm saying, oh, bother. And I need to learn to say, oh, bother, because the words I use in those situations are often far less acceptable. <laughs> but see, it's, it's pre-verbal. And, and you have held your son preverbally as he's navigated his way through the more difficult preverbal signaling maybe for him i don't know but it sounds like it and, but it's that been that bath of relationship um and yes I, that's secure attachment even if it looks a little idiosyncratic and some of our 
assessments, but it, um, and that bath is leading him further and further into, into subtle, deep development. Uh, it's just very beautiful. I, I like how you call it a bath, like you're bathing him in, in attachment. And, and by that, you mean the relationship, the R and the DIR model, the safety, the feeling of safety and trust with another person. And it's why above anybody else in the world, he'll always choose to be with me. He'll be distressed if I'm leaving. Like, are you playing with me, mama? A helper's coming over. Are you staying, mama? Are you playing with me? And I'll say, oh, mama's got to do some work and mama's got to go out and do some stuff, but I'll be back. And you know, it's always mama, 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 because I'm the safe person since birth. Every second of his needs, I, I'm there soothing him. And um, that, that R is so important, that relationship piece. And Dr. Gordon Neufeld talks about it as attachment hunger. So he's like, you would never let your child go hungry. You would never deprive them of going to the bathroom. You would never um, not have them sleep. Well, why would you let them have this attachment hunger? It's just as important to spend those moments with your child, getting those loving interactions with them before anything else. Because once they're filled up with that attachment, he gives really good examples for the child who's starting school and has a lot of separation anxiety from going to school. Like if you spend that time in the morning with your child and with loving interactions and playful and I'll be thinking of you all day and oh, at 12 o'clock, well, some kids at that age don't have the concept of time yet, but at lunchtime, I'm going to eat my lunch and I'm going to think of you eating your lunch and having these, you know, warm interactions together as opposed to hurry up, get your shoes on, let's go, we're late, and not even looking at the child. So filling that attachment hunger first, the child feels full and nourished, and now I have the energy to go out in the world without you. I'm so dependent on, I can now be independent for a little while and then after school I'll come back and I need that that attachment, I need that, as you call it, that bath, that loving bath of security and safety. And really we all need that, we just learn how to cope without it as adults um, if we don't have it in our lives and, and you know, form all our neuroses and, and problems and issues when we don't have it. But um, for our children with the developmental differences, it's so essential to really get all of this down as they're developing so that we can give them the best shot to have an independent life going forward. Yes, that's our goal. As much self-direction as possible in, in, in the context of being able to have full, deep relationships. Preverbal signaling is critical. We, that's our first language. And we, in supporting kids with challenges, it's real important that the therapist, well, I'll give you a trick or two that I use. That, what do I do when I first meet, a, I'll say a new mom and boy. We'll use boy, I'll switch my pronouns here. I smile at the boy rapidly fleetingly, but I focus on mom. And I hear as much of her story as I can. And I, you know, I want to get her relaxed. And if we can joke a little, it's usually about the time we hit the joking phase when that child start coming in to me or the therapist, because what does she learn? Well, this is a safe, fun guy. Mom's talking with him. She's relaxed. She's laughing. Hey, I want, I want to try some of this. Don't come in and start focusing on that child because it'll freak the child out. Uh, come in and focus on the primary caregiver and let the primary caregiver signal through her eyes and preverbal gesturing that you're a safe good. And Dr. Dr. Neufeld calls that matchmaking. So he said it used to be very, very common tradition that before kindergarten you have a meeting, you go meet the teacher, and it's so important to bring your child and do exactly what you said. Talk to the teacher, see that mom is really comfortable and having fun and having good interactions with the teacher so that the child then feels safe to be with the teacher when they go to school on their first day of school. Um, whether it's with a teacher or whether it's with a sitter that comes, whether it's with uh, 
Aunt Gertrude, who lives 300 miles away, who's visiting for the first time, that matchmaking so that it, the child feels comfortable. And I mean, we all know intuitively that when you go in, into a room and you see a stranger for the first time, you go right up to them, hey, how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. Like you're kind of scaring them. Whereas when you kind of go, you sit down, you're just comfortable, you let things happen, and then everybody sort of calms down. Okay, this is comfortable now, and then you'll see the child start to open up. But yeah, I agree with you. When, when you have this cold, therapeutic kind of setting, I'm bringing my child in for this therapy, and then all the focus is on the child, they miss the most important piece, which is that R in the DIR model, the relationship. We're in a funny place in infant mental health, because we don't think in terms of individuals, we think in terms of pairs or dyads. You know, that's how it, and certainly Greenspan's work and all of the attachment work since, by the way, the reason I don't use the phrase attachment theory is because this is one of the best researched areas best researched area in, in human development. Uh, ABA has that scientific ability, applied behavior analysis. We talk about with science prediction and control, and they have a good body of research showing how powerful some of their techniques are to control other people. But prediction, prediction, prediction. We have learned that in a large number of cases, we can interview a pregnant mom with a certain kind of interview, standard interview, and begin to predict how that attachment is going to look at six months, 16 months, and then further, you know, throughout childhood and early adulthood. That's, that's the extent of the research that we have, backing up attachment per se. And I can't emphasize enough that Dr. Greenspan's work is just not just because it was so brilliant and for me earth-shaking but he's focusing on an element of attachment and how that attachment works with the infant in terms of individual development. I just can't emphasize enough it's about your face and your voice tone and your body gestures and how you sit and so on and so forth and you're teaching that child that common language if he's a child that has challenges that prevent him from you know flowing into it as, as rapidly as other kids sometimes you know but it's yeah preverbal signaling don't forget that it's at the core of dir i was really lucky to get a lot of time with stanley and I, I, I don't hear that talked about enough, is all I'm going to say, you know, even, yeah, okay. And, and I will say that one thing I notice with the carousel of different therapists that I've seen in my son's eight years since his brain injury and then subsequent diagnosis is that some people are just natural at it. You know, they see the child for the first time and they're there like, hi, how are you? And oh, what are you gonna do today? Oh, that sounds like so much fun. And they just have this natural affect and connection with the child that comes so intuitively. And other people, like they could have taken all the courses in the world in DIR and they just don't have it. They're just not attuned to the child and it's, you know, going through the motions of doing certain things, but they're missing that core connection with that effective reciprocal signaling that you talk about. And, and it could be um, a result of their own upbringing. Maybe their own system didn't get developed a lot. Maybe they, they didn't get the chance to develop that effective reciprocal system themselves. And, and certainly there are many adults that, that don't have that. Um, and you can still get through life, but um, it's interesting to me how some people really are just natural and intuitive at it, and certainly by learning the model, it can help them understand where uh, to use those strengths of theirs to really help 
push the development forward in, in children. And, and for those that aren't naturals at it, um, especially when some of the parents that are struggling and have such a hard time doing that, I mean, that must be where your work is, is how do you get those parents to really get playful and connect with the child? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of us don't, you know, only lightly dip into this fourth capacity. Um, a lot of the rest of us dip in enough that we have a good sense of what's fair, what's socially expected. You know, you begin to develop all these concepts before. I call them action patterns before they become language symbols and concepts in the way we think of them later. But yeah, but yeah, it's about that connection and their ability to use concepts, abstract notions, abstract thoughts, be creative in the way we think, to tie together different concepts that may not initially seem to fit together, and what we think of as a rich intellectual life begins with pre-verbal signaling. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and knowledge with us about the importance of this pre-verbal signaling and the effective element. Um, and I mean, all we can do is uh, get parents or caregivers or practitioners listening, watching to go to affectautism.com, go to the start here link and you can watch a number of podcasts. Um, you can listen to podcasts, watch the videos, read through the blogs. There's lots and lots of tips. Uh, there's a section called floor time techniques where you can look and see um, what's happening and learn how to do these techniques to really use this this affective system and, and get it cooking as you like to say as dr greenstein used to say get it cooking in your child so uh thank you gene any last parting words okay daria thank you it's always a delight to talk to you you too with your rich experience thank you gene christian until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.